So, yeah, you're at home. You've got a guitar plugged in. It's a dark, cloudless night. You can see across the horizon through the window. Lights off in the distance. Wait a second, what is that one light? Is that usually there? Wait, is that light moving? That's right, a blinking light is across the horizon coming towards your house at great speed, getting louder, closer. It's a freaking helicopter. A voice comes through, a speaker in the sky. No, guitar is safe. The thing is right over your lawn. Suddenly, a guy zip lines out of the thing and lands on your front porch. He's carrying an ominous black case. Comes through the door into your guitar dojo. Opens that case and inside it is just a Zoom recorder. No biggie. That's right. This is Jude Gold and you know the drill. That's what we do. That's what I do. I like to find amazing guitar players and hang with them for an hour or more. And speaking of drill, lead guitarist of Phil X and the Drills is Phil X. He's also now the freaking lead guitarist of Bon Jovi, which is so exciting. I mean, he's been in the band since 2011, but he's now an official member and they have a new record coming out. And of course, we're going to hear all about that and learn about what it's like rocking stadiums all over the world with one of the biggest rock and roll hall of fame bands on the planet bon jovi and of course phil is such a great player man we're also going to dive into his other love which is his power trio the drills this is a song called something to say by phil x and the drills featuring guest drummer matt chamberlain what a monster And bassist Daniel Spree is on there, too. He's also originally from Canada, I believe, just like Phil. You can see video of this and other songs on the YouTubes. Just love Phil's guitar playing. He's a real deal rocker. He's got that element of danger that any like great rocker, great snowboarder, great athlete, great actor, they have that element of danger. And I love that about Phil, man. He's for real. I'm so thankful he agreed to do this interview and plug in and jam with me a little bit. Show me some licks. Thanks to Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com for supporting this episode and so many others. This is episode 105. Before we get into what it's like to rock stadiums with Bon Jovi and play with the drills and all this other crazy stuff that this crazy guitar player Phil X does... Let's hear another Drills tune. Here's another one with a great video on YouTube. It's called No Woman of Mine. This features Doug Pinnock singing lead. King's X, lead singer and bassist. Although bass is again on this song, Daniel Spree, drummer is Abe Laboreal Jr. On loan from Paul McCartney for the day. Whoa! 
So yes, Phil X, I've known him for a while. Special thanks to Bobby Collin and Eric Baker at Primary Wave who reconnected me with Phil, even though I think we were connected, but it's nice to have someone say, yo, gotta do Jude's podcast. That's right, I'm Jude Gold. It's 2020. Happy New Year. I thought I'd do a little different intro for once. Have a little fun today with that whole helicopter bit, but that's the idea. If you're doing something interesting on the guitar, I'm going to find you. And Phil, of course, is so interesting. I mean, this is the guy who has a Wonder Boy action figure in the next slot of many of his guitars where, there, where a pickup would be. However, he has a big announcement to make right on this show regarding which guitars he is playing. Pretty exciting. But of course, we're also going to get into how in the heck did he get selected by John Bon Jovi to be Bon Jovi's lead guitarist and fill in for the great Richie Sambora and before too long become a full-fledged member of the band. One last thing about Phil, you know, I really respect him because he came up in the trenches and cover bands, learning all these different tunes, paying his dues, and then he became a session cat. You know, he's played on big songs with uh, Chris Cornell, Daughtry, Gavin DeGraw, Alice Cooper, Avril Lavigne, Kelly Clarkson, Rob Zombie, Tommy Lee, Stuart Copeland from The Police, Adam Lambert. I mean, it just goes, the list goes on and on. I can't list them all, but he's got that cred behind him too, as well as the stage cred. So it's actually daytime. We're going to head over across town to North Hollywood. Great rehearsal place there called AMP. I think it's just called Amp Rehearsals, Amp Studios, right on Lancashire. You know the place if you're from around here. So much fun. We actually ran into John Five at the end of the interview outside. We took a selfie. I'll put a picture of the three of us on the No Guitar Safe Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram. Those are at Jude underscore gold. Please say hi and say hi to Phil X on all those social media stuff too. I'll be sharing his stuff. And on this day, I got Phil plugged into a nice orange half stack rocker verb. I think he's pushing things a little bit with the um, way huge overdrive. And I'm just running a Telecaster through a Mesa mini rectifier. Although I do leave most of the playing to Phil, but you'll hear me and him playing together a little bit. Ooh, did you hear that cool shrieking bend? I think that was Phil's patented bazooki trick, which of course you know he's gonna show you momentarily. So let's do it, let's go rock out with Phil X. Fuck, I'm not really. You like stand up? What? <laughs> no, but I'll do it for you. <laughs> Sweet. I got this. Thank <laughs> you. 
problem. Yeah, check one, two, check. The problem is, is uh, I take two guitars wherever I go because I'm such a P90 guy, but some rooms just hate P90s. Oh, you mean because of the buzz? Yeah. It's from this. Uh... And people talk to me, why don't you just get a quiet P90? I'm like, it doesn't exist. Oh, there's five companies that do a pretty good, like a dummy coil or this or that. Yeah. And I'm like, it's all a compromise, man. The part that I love about the P90 isn't. I made my, my P90 with arcane pickups, and this guy came online and go, you're such a fucking idiot. Why don't you just make a quiet P90, get a dummy coil or something? I'm like, because it comp compromises the integrity of a P90. And the guy was like, you're such a fucking idiot. I'm like, okay, who's working and <laughs> well, who's you, not working? You can't respond to everybody. <laughs> you can't respond to anybody. People, yeah. these guys don't want to even agree to disagree. They're right and you're wrong. Like Tonewood and stuff like that? Those people yeah. are the craziest. Yeah, man. Well, hopefully, if you ever talk to them in person, then maybe it's a different story. But online, No, if you talk they... to them in person, they'll say half the shit that they say to you yeah. online because you can hide behind a keyboard. In person, it's face-to-face. -face. Nobody's, nobody's got the balls for that. Dude, so what are you holding right there? That's not a Framus or a Yamaha, and those companies have been killer to you over the years. They have. Um, but this is something different. Well, I, uh, I, obviously, I love the SG. Because that yep. my Framus was a take on on the SG, and uh, I just I did the switcheroo. This is 2020. It's a new year. It's the Roaring Twenties, a hundred years later, and uh, I am now going to be with Gibson. Hey man, congratulations! And thank you. I've heard um, of that company. You have, <laughs> right? The Dream Company of you know Jimmy Page played fucking okay. Anyways, my whole point. Yeah, he also played Telecasters. Is, he did. Um, I was. I loved Framers, Framus. They were great to me, and, and I was there for five years. And uh, there was two things for me that were really important that it, it didn't seem were going to get done. And one is I have my U YouTube demographic who deserves the Phil X Mojo in a guitar for four or $500, like an Epiphone, right? Right. And, um, you know, and we were going back and forth with Framus for a long time, and it actually went over through years and years of, uh, hey, we finally have a Chinese version of the Phil X guitar. I'm going, great, how much is it? Well, it's going to be around 1200 bucks. And I'm like, that's not, yeah. that's not, I, I, know, I know what, you know, uh, what I spent when I was a kid, and I want to hit that demographic with the Phil X guitar. That's why I started making pickups. Yeah. So Arcane makes, makes my pickups. If you couldn't afford a Phil X guitar, you could get a pickup for 150 bucks. Now, is that one right there in this new SG? This is my P Arcane PX100. I love so, the little metal frame around it. Yeah, yeah. It, it retrofits into a humbucker cavity. Yeah. Um, on, the, on the Framuses, my favorite Framuses were P90 soap bars. And then, uh, but I've been also getting into dog ears lately. I'm just a P90 guy. I love it. But like I said, sometimes when I travel and do fly gigs, I take a P90 Magic guitar, and then I take a guitar with a humbucker just in case the room yeah. hates it. Like there's a TV tower right next door, so yeah. any single coil is going to hum your face off. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah. So does it come with the toy? What? <laughs> I, I, well, eventually I want to have a, 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 an action figure that I don't have to get a copyright. <laughs> right. <laughs> copyright or permission. Yeah, man. This is the boy wonder. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted a guitar. Um, In the I, neck I'm pickup I'm playing at the Gibson booth at NAMM on Friday. So is this news? This, I mean, has yeah. any have you publicly announced yet? This is the first time. 
Hey, well, cool. Yeah. On your show. What? Yeah, we bring it to you. Exclusive. Just for June. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> thank you so much. I got to stop for a second. You know, taking time out of your schedule and showing up here and driving across town. Oh, anytime, man. Really anytime. appreciate it. We're here at AMP rehearsal. So I can pick up my kids from school. <laughs> I know, man. You're picking up, you're, you're like the rock guy picking up your kids from school. You know, it's funny. Like, I, I know China Kantner from, you know, Paul Kantner and Grace Slick's daughter from Jefferson Starship. Yeah. And she, she told me the funniest story how when she was like in junior high school, she'd be so embarrassed when Grace Slick, her mom, rock star, she had three number one hit songs around that yeah. time. And. Shows up in a DeLorean, which embarrassed her, and had like purple hair. She's like, "Mom, can you pick me up like two blocks away?" Like, she's embarrassed of her rock star mom, which I was Dude. just cracking up. With, the, like with me, you? my kids are young, right? So they don't get it yet. Yeah, my son is six, and my daughter is. So my son's in kindergarten because his birthday's in October, and then my daughter is turning four this month. So she's in preschool, but you know. Uh, my son's name is Xavier, and I'm in the parking lot. I drop the kids off, but my hair is out, and uh, this guy goes, "Hey." Hey, are you Xavier's dad? I'm like, a deaf musician. What? Are you Xavier's dad? Um, yeah. He goes, my daughter's in his class, and she came home the other day, and she goes, Daddy, there's this new kid. His name is Xavier, and his dad plays with Iron Maiden. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. I go, well, he goes, well, she said, you know, you had long hair, and Iron Maiden's my favorite band, so she wanted to, you know, tell Daddy that, you know, she met a guy from Iron Maiden. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that's really cute. He goes, well, obviously you're not an Iron Maiden, but you look like you're in a band who you play with. And then at school, at a new school, especially now since we moved, you want to you wanna disclose. So, like, if people go, hey, are you in a band now? I say no. Or, hey, what band are you in? I, I actually know I'm a chiropractor. You know, I don't want <laughs> to open up that conversation that I'm in Bon Jovi because it sounds like a lie. You know what right. I mean? It sounds, hey, what band are you in? Oh, well, I play in Bon Jovi on Thursdays. On Friday, I play with Van Halen. You know, yeah. it sounds like a story. <laughs> like everybody's but like. But I mean, in any pl if there's any place where people will believe you, it's right here in LA. Yeah, so, so what, what do you do? What do you tell them? No, so I did tell him. I did yeah. tell him. Because people, because if he Googled me, and I lied, then I'd be a dick. <laughs> because yeah. it, people Google you now all the time. Like, they don't have to ask who, who you are. Like, on a plane, they look at the seating oh, yeah. plan, and they go, his name Felixinides, Felixinides, Google Felixinides. Oh, my God, this guy's in Bon Jovi. And then they wake you up, and they go, I'm a fan. And you're like, of my jacket? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you, like, what are we talking about? Like, there's no conversation. But, I mean, I love, uh, I love that, I, that I'm not as famous as John. Because oh, yeah. we go on the road, and he's usually stuck in his room a lot. Well, you know? congratulations for being an official member now of oh, thanks, Bon Thank you. Fucking Jovi, which is yeah. just so sick. It is pretty sick. I mean, I, I love having <laughs> both canvases. Like, uh, my band, The Drills, is going on tour in, in Europe and the UK in March. And basically in a sprinter van and dives. And then in May, I'm in jets and arenas and stadiums. In June, sorry. So, <laughs> well, it's crazy, too. man. I mean, I have so many questions, and the drills are so awesome too. Thanks, like, buddy. They, yeah, I love the, every song that I've heard. It's, like, oh, that's a that's I a mean, flattering. Well, you guys are like actually underrated, you know, considering that maybe you haven't sold multi platinum records. It's yeah. does so, that even happen anymore? <laughs> I mean, the the heart. I mean, when I think of a hard rock player that that can deliver. 
technical shit, but all everything is played with heart, and every note hits me in the chest. I think of you, and it makes perfect sense that John hired you. Oh, thanks, man. What, I, what is it? I you really work with that. so many huge stars. What, yeah. What's it like when you're working with? I'm not talking about successful musicians, but we're talking about superstars like Kelly Clarkson and right. and John Bon Jovi, and I'm blanking on some of the, you know Tommy Lee, Alice Cooper, Avril Lavigne. What's the what, if someone gets a chance to play with one of these people what's your advice they're like they're, they're different right they're from another planet well it's they're so right. famous they're so famous and sometimes you i mean you know i always tell people and i tell i do a lot of clinics and i speak at schools so i want i want to instill it in the younger musician that uh you know of course people say being at the right place at the right time but i think even more than that is delivering because if you get that chance, you get that knock on the door and you answer the door and you bring your B game or it's not all quite connecting the dots, then you've lost your chance. You got to be able to deliver at the drop of a dime all the time. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. I, I put a lot of like, I mean, with YouTube and seeing stuff and seeing so many players, it's you got to have something that not everybody has. There are a million players better than me, play circles around me, faster than me, tap crazier than me. I don't even actually tap that much. But and they do voicings and more strings and more this, and they're incredible. But they really can't do what I do. And I think everybody needs that, you know? Um, and my thing is weird. I'm like a, a 53-year-old full of piss and vinegar and angst. And when I get on a guitar, you see that. So, And I want to see that. So when yeah. somebody sends me a video, dude, check out this video of this 14-year-old girl playing Eruption. <laughs> I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Does she do a backflip? If she does a backflip, I'll watch it. If she doesn't do a backflip... I don't care because right. it's like I don't want to see somebody sitting and, and nailing it note for note and technically playing it perfect because there's no fire. Right. And there's no – when I saw Eddie Van Halen four times with Roth from 1980 to 1984, he wasn't standing there or sitting on a stool blowing my mind. He was running back and forth and kicking yeah. the cabinets, the tower of cabinets. So Dude, it I saw wobble. that. He kicked the – full stack and it fall back that was and I, diver down like and so was somebody back there oh yeah it? you know the, the or were there some you know the loaders? you know the texts are hold the cabinet hold the cabinet <laughs> that was so edgy and then yeah he'd run and slide on those knee pads dude and, and that you know years yeah. later he's getting knee replacements and hip replacements but that's life man and that's rock and roll yeah. it's so rock and roll i want to see people well, and, and that's what when i get on stage i portray or exude what I want to see on stage. So that's that's where that comes from. Well, you some that's exactly what I see in you without trying to flatter you too much, but you know what I'm saying like that's what sets you apart in my mind. Is oh, thanks man. Like, <laughs> Thank you. You bring the thunder through your guitar. Um, <laughs> and so stadiums, what what's your favorite stadium? What is the, what are the pros and cons of playing stadiums as a guitar player? What's the good good part? I have the fortunate um, <laughs> I'm in a fortunate situation where I can A, B the two things because like this year happened last May I did four shows with the drills in small clubs including the whiskey on Sunset here and uh, I had monitors I had my amps behind me just 
everything's talking. My mag, you know, I could turn around and get a note to sing out, and Uli style. Oh, it's I just love that shit, right? And and then two weeks later, I was in Russia on a stadium with my cabinets and ISO boxes 50 feet away. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm not getting the magnets talking and, and the, I'm not getting the, everything's really close to your ear. And I, I'm gonna go on record right now and say I hate in-ears. Right. I, because it's just, you don't hear the audience as much, as much as you'd like, so you're losing that intimacy. And then you're losing the intimacy between your guitar and the amp, and that conversation is compromised. Right. So, mind you, being in front of 60,000 people <laughs> has its perks. Like, you're in front of 60,000 people. And then in, we, in September, we played Rock and Rio, my third time, and it's 100,000 people. And you can't see the end. You can't see the last row. It just goes yeah. on That's and on an ocean of heads. <laughs> it's amazing. So, the cool thing about in June, we also played Wembley Stadium. In Dang. outside of London and the at Chitlin I, circuit, I, I want <laughs> right. I wanted it to be a, a special um, experience for me, so I took the tube to the gig with some right. friends. Like everybody's like, "Hey, what's what's which car are you taking today?" Your tour manager's freaking out. Yeah, there's one at three o'clock. There's one at five o'clock. I'm like, I'm taking the train. He's like, "What? Well, who's going with you? <laughs> we, need, we need to send a security guy with you." And I'm like, "No, no, I got I got Obi. He's the broadcast engineer, yeah, yeah. and he's awesome and can throw a punch." And uh, and you know, my friend Carl, who's actually going to tour manage the tour the drills tour in March. So I got him and uh, and some friends. So and nobody recognizes me on the train. And they're all riding to the show. We're riding to the show, and then we walk out, and then. I'm at the top of the stairs, walking down to the stairs, and I see the security guy waiting for me there. And so this girl comes up to me, and I get why nobody recognized me. It's basically, it's a denial thing. There's like, there's no way he'd be on the train. Were you like, did you have your hair out and everything? Yeah. I'm, oh. I'm ready to go to soundcheck, right? You well, see, you're ready to talk to people. So she comes up to me, and she goes, are you Phil X, or you just look like Phil X? And oh. I'm like, I, I get that a lot. <laughs> you dodgeballer. <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe I, I forget if I took. Because if I, if I, if one person takes a photo, then the line starts. Yeah. So you can't really. Okay, let's take a quick yeah. pick because there is no quick pick. So the camera doesn't work, or they're trying it, and it's oh, it's dark. Can we do it again? And then while you're trying to nail that one photo, there's the line begins. You you could be at a Starbucks, and it turns into a meet and greet if one person asks for a photo. Right. Yeah. So, but the the thing I was going to say about Wembley Stadium is that's a dream venue. You know, it's not the exact same building, but it's Wembley Stadium. You know, uh, the uh, you know with when we're Queen no, and shit. Zeppelin yeah. and it's, it's incredible. So the the difference between Rock and Reel with a hundred thousand people and Wembley Stadium with seventy two thousand people is you see the back row. You yep. see the top of the bowl, and you look at all the, and man, I need binoculars to really see what's going on up there. You know, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing, I'm, and I feel like again, I feel fortunate that I can do that. Yeah, it's a it's it's cool to have two canvases. It's well deserved. Tell me the funniest thing or most Spinal Tap moment that's ever happened that you can think of, or a couple of goofy. <laughs> where things went wrong or something with a, they on a Bon Jovi gig. all the time, but. You, you never forget when somebody asks. 
I mean, there was one time, uh, a Bon Jovi moment for me, we were in Singapore, and our opening act was a Formula One race. <laughs> yeah. And then it's a Bon Jovi concert in the, in the middle of the track or something. So it was the one time that I had a technical difficulty that stopped the show. So we're doing Wanted Dead or Alive, and I go to go into the solo, and the guitar doesn't work. And Ooh. and you're looking around, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm looking at my tech, and he's like... I think that's my biggest fear of yeah. his gear. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. This is... Like, stuff will always happen. Yeah. But the cool thing about this is John stopped the show, and he goes... This is far too important a solo to not Dude. have in the show tonight. That is so So epic. let's just take five seconds and get it working, which we did. And then when I went into the solo, the, audi the, the amazing response from the audience was like, yay, it happened. <laughs> we, ah! So what, what does I mean? John do? He's like, okay, guys, from the bridge. Or like, I mean, where is he? Well, guys? we take it from the breakdown. Like right, right. before the right. solo okay, is cool. the, the, the chime, right? The, Play us a little bit, would you? The, uh... So, so that's going on, on that. and I'm getting into it. And I go... <laughs> so when I went into that, people went... It was in, The excitement was unbelievable. And the other aspect of it is there's a lot of... We get a lot of repeat customers that go to multiple shows. So if we do a tour of, say, we do 40 shows... There's a lot of fans that will go from 25 to all 40 shows. You mean like in or, America? Or miss a couple. Or they'll, all, they'll be in Europe or they'll be here. They could be anywhere. So we yeah. were doing this run in the Pacific Rim, and I think there was people at every show. So the people that go to multiple shows, they now have that story. I was at that show where the guitar didn't work Man. and wanted dead or alive. And, that, and that's a special little thing that they can hold on to you know it's kind of a cool experience all right let's play the living on a prayer solo that's the only one i know let's see if we can, what key is it in yeah but everybody plays it a little I different know, it's fun it'll be little be a little idios it'll be Are we uh, doing it in unison yeah without a drummer yeah are you where, crazy where is it it's e? a yeah okay, one two three <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. So tell me this story. Do you? It was so great having you at MI when I had you that for was a an, clinic. That was an awesome day, man. That was like you were so fucking real at that clinic. That's what I. You were just like. That's what I really remember most because I had a whole bunch of clinics in that time that I was running that program. But you want to know what made it real? Yeah. Before you finish your thought, go ahead. That we were sitting on a couch. I don't even remember that part. We sat on a couch. Huh. And you And you like <laughs> you you played songs from different artists that I play with and we talked about it. That was amazing. Oh, well, I I've never done anything like that since. Well, we're doing something similar, right? That's yeah. the whole point of this podcast is to like bring those moments to the worldwide audience. Yeah. Um, you told a funny story of uh, when you were flipping the guitar on your first tour with Bon Jovi. And then what happened? <laughs> Tell me about this. Um, okay, so, I mean, okay, so when I first filled in for Richie in 2011, I did 13 shows. And a friend of mine came up to me and he said, hey, because he'd seen me on stage with the drills. 
And he's basically hinting that you can't do that. <laughs> Don't take attention doing? away from the guy that the band is named after. So what were you doing? <laughs> well, I mean, what I'm doing with the drills is the, this ball of fire energy that's static and crazy and nuts and uh, kind of captivating, yeah, <laughs> if yeah. I do say so myself. So he, his point was to, you know, you need to dial yeah. that back. And I, I know what I'm doing, right? I know, I know what, now I, I know the difference between fronting a band and taking a back seat and let somebody else front the band. I've done it in other bands and I know how to do that. He was just saying, this, this time it's really important. And John... At the time, we would do Lay Your Hands On Me, and at the end, we would do this jam, and everybody got a spotlight, and he would walk off the stage, and he would cool off and change his, cha you know, do a wardrobe change or something for when, he, for when he came back on. We'd go into, like, Bed of Roses or something, and it'd be a different song, and, uh, you know, he's warmed up or yeah. cooled down. So uh, there was one time, and it was in Memphis, and I know it was in Memphis because David Bryan wrote co-wrote the musical Memphis and we were in Memphis so he said hey guys tonight we're in Memphis so David's gonna sing the song from Memphis that he wrote and that's when I'll take my break so I'll be on stage with you guys and lay your hands on me just rocking out so prior to that I if it was my moment and in my moment the guy that I'm supposed to not take attention away from isn't on the stage right so let's make the best of this moment so I start tearing it up on guitar, and then I do the guitar spin around. So you're throwing and, it around your shoulders like... Yeah, like Cinderella, Yeah, for instance, yeah, like, <laughs> as, a, as an example. And uh, try, Who else did that so famously? Well, Yngwie does Yngwie it 25 does times a night. A song, 25 times a song. Yeah, a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did that, and, um, and it, was, it was cool that uh, the audience responded. There was a, a, a peak in the audience volume, and there was people looking at me like, what the fuck? And I'm, I did it, and I go, oh, that was cool. So the next show, this is still before Memphis, the next show, I had people, when it's my moment, everybody's in the audience telling me to do it. They're, yeah. they're motioning, do the thing, do the thing, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, okay, now, now it's a thing. So now it's on YouTube. Now people in the audience are, that aren't don't see the show, they're seeing me do it on YouTube. And then it's Memphis. He's on the stage. I'm like, dude, do not do it. You know, the angel on one shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. And the devil on the other shoulder. And people in the audience going, do the thing, do the thing. And he's going, do the thing. Uh, I did the thing. And... Yeah. Um, and he saw the thing, and then uh, I didn't see that. I didn't see a response until a, a, my buddy who filmed it in, in Memphis showed me, "Hey, check this out!" And it's, you could kind of see that he he didn't like it much. Ha! And then he walked away, and he still. And then he went in back into his mode of being front guy. So, but he comes up to me <laughs> after the show and with a big smile, a big John Bon Jovi smile on his face. He goes, "Never do that again." <laughs> <laughs> no. so that was it that was yeah. the lesson learned right yeah yeah well yeah. there you go and has it that's that was years ago now so. 2000 that's eight, nine years ago so can you demonstrate that right now and with your brand new signature no, model I haven't sg tr i haven't tried it i haven't tried it with the, the the strap peg here yet yeah you don't have the strap locks on i'm kind of kidding but um I've always wondered because I've never I've seen the YouTube fails of the throw the guitar around your shoulders in yeah. 360 degrees. I've seen that. We've all seen the guitar go flying off the backstage and 
I've been kind of scared to try. What's the, what's the trick to learning how to do that? Have you ever had any fails with it when you first started doing it, when you were well, experimenting as a kid? Most of those fails are that people don't use uh, strap locks. And then some, some if, if you do, if you use enough velocity, you can actually break a strap lock. So the, I use big wood screws and giant washers, and the strap doesn't come off. Because if the strap can come off, chances are it will one day. Right. With me, I had a fail that I had was way long in early in, in 88 or 89, and the screw actually, the back screw actually pulled out. The guitar, right. So I, I was doing it with such velocity that the screw pulled out, and the guitar went around and flying. And then teetered at the end of the stage, and I was so embarrassed. The tech brought me another guitar. You're lucky you didn't hurt somebody. I'm thinking, yeah, it's a good thing I didn't kill, take an eye out. And then people are coming up to me after and going, how'd you do that? Like, you throw it around, and then it goes flying? That's amazing. I'm like, wow, okay. But So that's not really a fail. <laughs> but another time... Another time, it wasn't going around my neck. It was, I threw the guitar 20 feet up and somebody had killed the lights for a second. So as the oh, guitar no. coming down, I'm like, I can't fucking see the guitar. What's happening? And then I reach out and I grab the strap Holy and the shit. strap, it the, it didn't pull. Like it was an SG, but it was, I believe it was a uh, a Viper. A Viper. The LTD, ESP, uh, ESP LTD Viper. And I... I used to put the screw in the horn because that was the best balance yeah, for whipping it like around. SG. So I grabbed the strap and it cracked the horn. So a piece of wood came out and the the guitar was kind of, I was yo-yoing it around with the back of the strap. It was pretty, I mean, stuff like that. If, if it's going to go, if you're going to have a fail, turn it into the show. Man, you are a dangerous motherfucker. I'll tell you that. I almost killed somebody on stage once. Is this another story? Ex accidentally. All right. I got to hear it. No, that, that oh. particular time where the guitar, I was yo-yoing it. I was trying to spin it around into my hands. And as it went, oh. we had a dancer on stage. Oh, no. And as it went around, it just missed her head. Oh, yeah, you got and it. she was a twin. It was twins. So she wouldn't have been a twin anymore <laughs> if oh, I would have hit her in the God. face. Okay, I didn't kill her, but it would have ruined her twin career. You're just killing me right here. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I, I mean I've hurt myself about, too. I think there's a story about Jim Marshall, the great amp, not the photographer creator of Marshall Amps, so some guy was swinging, one of the famous singers, and swinging a mic stand with a heavy bass around, and somebody saw, it went right over Jim Marshall's head by like half an inch. Wow. Like, like that probably would have killed him. I want to say I've hurt myself too. Because yeah. in the one band I was doing with the dancers, we would play the Key Club here, which is a 1200 theater, and which I would band? do the Powder? finale. Powder, yeah. I would throw the guitar up, and it would, 20 feet, and it would come down, and that'd be the finale. Thank you, good night. Well, three days later, no, five days later, I was playing the, the, at the time, the Cat Club with the drills, and the ceiling's painted black. You can't see how high it is, and I'm in the finale with the drills going, don't throw the guitar, man. You don't know, you, you can't see the ceiling. If you can't see the ceiling, it's a bad thing. And then the other half of me goes, come on, do it. So I throw the guitar up, and the heel of the guitar hits the ceiling, and the guitar ricochets into my face. Headstock first hit me, just missed my left, hit my eyebrow, and then bounced and hit my below my eye. Could have taken my eye out, jumped my eye like Evil Knievel, and I went to the hospital and, and got it fixed. So were you just gushing blood or something? That was funny because you don't when you're on stage. There's so much adrenaline <laughs> that you don't feel stuff. 
So, but then I feel the trickle of blood on my face and I look at Dan, my bass player, and I'm like, hey, am I bleeding? And he's like, we should stop. <laughs> and then you're packing up your stuff, trying not to bleed on your pedal board before you go to the exactly. ER. Exactly. So I go to ER and Typical. they patch it up with, okay, so they didn't, they didn't do stitches. Uh, they do like, uh, I, I believe it's crazy glue, you know, flesh adhesive. And uh, so they patched it up like that. And then I did a session the next day and I was wearing sunglasses and Josh Freeze was the drummer and he's like, uh, cool guy. I'm like, what? Sunglasses inside? I'm like, well, and then I pull him off and he goes, were you in a fight? <laughs> I look like a like, yeah, you look like raging, a boxer, raging bull. Yeah, so we're over here at AMP rehearsal. Speaking of sunglasses, we're, they got this place redesigned now here in Lancashire in LA. Great spot. Killer. And they got a coffee spot in the front of it. And you show me your new Bose sunglasses. You put them on and it's playing tunes off your iPhone straight behind your ears. But that yeah. was cool, man. I'm it's glad Bluetooth. I didn't hug you too hard and crush them. It's a good thing. <laughs> Bluetooth. Actually, they were. Uh, it's funny. They were a Christmas present from John Shanks. Sweet. So he sent them. And, and it was funny because I ran into him and I was listening to tunes. No, I was on the phone. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, hold on, hold on. Okay, I, I gotta go, bye. He goes, you don't got buds in or anything? I go, dude, it's the sunglasses. He goes, you're on the phone with the sunglasses? I go, you got these for me for Christmas. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I just listened to music. I didn't know I could talk on the phone. <laughs> so awesome. That's cool. So what's the dynamic like with you two cats on stage? I mean, you guys are trading duties and like he's just doing a it's lot. It's amazing because we, yeah, we're I mean, so different that we complement each other. What a hang to hang with him all the time too. World well, class we're producer. So, we're both guitar geeks, but I've never met a bigger guitar geek than him. Like yeah. he knows because he's got a lot of vintage guitars and he knows all about every, oh, that's the year that they did this and that's the year that they used this and, and, and then, yeah, they changed this this year, but it was yeah. probably in March. You know what I mean? He knows yeah, yeah. everything. And he produced a lot of Bon Jovi? The last few so. records, yeah. Well, that's cool sharing the stage. Well, it is. It is cool because he's he's got the insight of all those records, all those songs. So you know when he's I'm like, hey, why don't you play, uh, you know that finger picking thing in uh, Lost Highway? He goes, well, I did record it. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? <laughs> so, um, but the cool the cool thing about him is that he we really we look at each other on stage and. We're like, hey, okay, listen, we're in a mega band and we're killing it. So let's go out there and kill it. And it's like we're on a, on a football team getting out there to kill the next team, right? So we have that rapport backstage. And then aside from, you know, being guitar geeks, hey, I'm going to, we're on tour. And it's like, hey, I'm going to a guitar store. Uh, you want to come? I'm like, yeah, probably not today. I think I'm just going to hit the gym and chill out. And he goes, okay. And then comes the sound check. Check it out. I bought this. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is it? He goes, oh, it's a 57. We could be in, Ch in, in Tokyo. And he'll buy, he, you know, buy a 50 or put his card down. He takes a 57 Black Beauty, I think, brings it to sound check and tries it out. And then uh, if he likes it, he keeps it and thinks of what he could sell when he gets home. Or, nah, I got one and it's better. And he takes it back the next day. So, but it's it's cool to see somebody work that way. Oh, yeah. You probably learn so much from him about guitars. And then guitars his playing, and, too. And yeah. the sounds that he comes up with. And, and being on the record, it was great to... This new record coming out by Bon Jovi, this is the first record that I was involved in from the ground up. So we did beds in, oh. in Nashville at Ocean Way. Cool. And, and that, that was... Bon Jovi 2020. Sweet. Yeah. So 
it's um there was one solo and one of the songs was just screaming for a little danger in the solo department you know and i just i laid a few things down and shanks was like okay that's great but let's develop it i'm like okay so i would do a run he goes okay i like that lick i would do another take and i would do another lick and he goes okay that and that and then do another take and then do oh that's got to stay and okay what can you do instead of that and then i would do after 20 takes we got the solo and then i lay it down a few times top to bottom all the pieces right. uh so kind of write it and then in in a human as opposed to in pro tools Right, that's cool. So and then, it and then play it. And then, okay, this is perfect. I don't want you to have to do it again, but I, let's just punch in this one part. And I'm like, okay. And then we do that. And then, and then John Bon Jovi comes in. And he goes, "Ooh, that's a little, that's a little crazy for uh, us." And, and like, where were you the last three hours? And then Shanks goes, <laughs> "Dude, this is an element of Phil Phil's style." And if you want Phil on this record, this is his moment. He goes, well, this part doesn't even sound right. And he's like, well, that's, it sounds right to me. It sounds cool to me. It sounds like something that only Phil would do. Let me see if there's a cleaner presentation of it. So he goes into the, another layer, going, yep. going to the layers, into the multiple takes. And he, how about this one? Okay, I can live with that. So it was great that, you know, JBJ was in, uh, I'm going to veto that kind of mood, and Shanks was in, it's staying. He, got, he had my back. So he was I, invested in it. That's yeah. cool. He liked it. Can he you give my, us a sample? What, what was and it? it felt amazing. Hmm? Is there any way you can show us a little bit of well, kind of what I can't because it's not out yet. Yeah, or just, I meant. But you know what? It's, it's Phil X Licks, right? It's like uh, when we play... Um, this house is not for sale on the tour. We do a coda at the end, and I do a Phil X Lake, which... It's like a... That kind of lick. Yeah. So that's like... Uh, so I did that in the solo. So this solo was kind of... <laughs> yeah. I, it ends like that. You're not it playing the song. It does some licks and it goes. Um, I'm in F sharp that. So it ends like that. So I, it was cool to be able to throw in something that I've been playing with Bon Jovi onto the next record. That's killer. I mean, John Bon Jovi. He's. I, I think he's a fan. <laughs> he he likes. I think he likes what I bring to the stage. I think he likes what I bring to the music, and I, I think he, uh, he he calls me Mr. Positivity when he when he introduces the band because I just I'm always happy. I'm always in the zone. I'm always smiling. I'm ready to rock. It doesn't matter what's happening. I'm I walk on stage and deliver, and I think yeah. I think he also appreciates the uh, the consistency. You know, from night to night, even if I have a bad night, I'm the only one that knows because it happens. Yeah, it's hard to imagine you having a bad night. How did you get the call? I mean, you know, what's a quick story of how you got invited to do that first fill-in date? Again, Mr. Shanks. He had, it, it was all a timing thing. Shanks had just watched a bunch of Fred Americana videos. Being a collector, that makes sense, right? Yeah. 
So he came up to me. He had, at the time, he had a studio at Henson, and I was in Studio D at Henson working on something else. And uh, he walked in, and he was like, you're funny. I'm like, <laughs> what? He goes, I couldn't stop watching your videos last night. Not only are you yeah. funny, it sounds like you can play and sing anything. And I go, wow, man, thank you so much. Great to meet you, and great. thanks for the, the kind words. And, you know, you think that's the end of it. Right? So two weeks later, he goes, hey, I got your number from uh, Kenny Aronoff. Um, I think I got a gig for you. <laughs> Damn, if John Shanks says that, <laughs> your ears are open. Yeah, he, he, I go, what is it? He goes, I actually can't tell you on the phone. Can you stop by my studio tomorrow? Because the whole thing was under confidence. It was, I, I signed a confidenti- confidentiality agreement. Um, Just for that one date? No, it was, it was. Or is it 11? It was 13 shows, but it, this was an agreement for an if. The agreement was, if Richie can't walk on stage, we're calling you. But we might not call you. If everything goes good, you're on hold. So you're like, are you traveling with them? Is it- no. This was like, you, if, if there's a problem, you will yeah. be called. You will be on a jet. You will be on to on your way to sound check. So you're on retainer. You will of. sound check the. I wasn't on retainer. Well, you're you're booked for the that period though. It's not really booked. It's basically they gave me a fee. I asked for a fee to learn the show because that's a lot of work to learn two and a half hour show, right? Hell yeah. And then um, and then I just sat tight. I just did my thing, kept doing it. Like this was on the on the back burner, and, and it might happen, it might not happen. And then on April fourteenth, John Bon Jovi actually called me and left a message because it was a uh, New York number. I don't know this number. <laughs> you know? right. Hey, it's John Bon Jovi calling. Uh, call me. And gave me his number and I called him and then we talked. And then uh, he said, so I want to put you on hold for May and fly you to New York at the end of April to rehearse for the band with the band for a couple of days and put you on hold for May. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, and Phil, I know it's a lot of material. If you come out being able to rock a two and a half hour show, we're good. And don't think you have to memorize the lyrics. We have teleprompters, which made my, saved my life. But, uh, and that's basically what happened. But when I flew to New York to rehearse, Richie went into rehab. So it went from being on hold for me to, hey, you're playing in front of 50,000 people in three days at the, at the um, New Orleans Jazz Fest. Damn. Yeah. Are you in? Are you I didn't even ever? have a 12-string. Oh, shit. So Takumi was... Uh, Takumi? Takumi's the best. Takumi, man. Takumi. So he was teching for Richie, so he... I forgot that he's Bon Jovi. I met him. He took me backstage at ACD, ACDC and showed me everything. Oh, it was, yeah, he's uh, awesome. Malcolm he's was still around. He's done some amazing to, stuff. Out, so, yeah, he's... Yeah, so he did Richie. So my basic thing was... Basically, my thing was... Uh, they said, bring guitars, because you're just going to plug into Richie's rig. And Richie's talk box. And Richie's... You can even use Richie's acoustics and stuff like this, and and that's and that's I use his spare because I didn't want to use his double neck. That would have been weird, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and my whole point was the mission was helping the band. It wasn't yep. trying to take anybody's job, and I treated it like I was helping the band. Hence, the audience and their fanship, they came on board slowly. Like, because I tweeted, I hate that the press is saying I replaced Richie Sambora. He's coming back. I'm just filling in. I'm just helping yeah. the band. And then, and then all their fans were like, oh, this guy's cool. He doesn't, he's 
just helping them Bon Jovi. Let's go to the shows. So it was, it was interesting, but it was also it was a lot of, uh, a lot of work, man. A lot of yeah. memorizing, a lot of material. Yeah, well, that's a huge thing. You got to go through all those videos and. Well, the cool thing about it is, you know, songs like "Living on a Prayer" are songs of my youth, right? Yeah. So I never played it, never learned it, but it played in my head a thousand times. Shit, man! I remember seeing maybe you. Did you see the Scorpions and Bon Jovi opened? It was they were a new, they were a baby band, and they had "She's a Little Runaway." That was their single, and <laughs> you the, saw that they were the opening I didn't band. See that. I saw it. I was thirteen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Bon Jovi was a new band. Let's play a little bit for a second, man. What? Yeah. Show us your new, your your pickup. Okay, so this is a this is actually a, an SG um, sixty four custom shop, and um, I'm gonna be playing at the Nam show at the Gibson booth on Nam Friday at five o'clock, and I wanted to have a guitar like I love the SG, but this guitar with my PX one hundred made by Arcane. It's yeah. just, it's more me now. One volume, one tone, and I put a little Boy Wonder in the uh, neck cavity that yeah. nobody can see right now. But, yeah. um, so oh, this no. is, for me, this is like, I even used this on the last tour just to get warmed up to it. But putting the PX100 into it, because basically the PX100 is like a PX90, which is a P90, but our version of it, but in a, in a humbucker housing so it can fit into yeah. a humbucker cavity. So And um, it looks cool with that housing. It does, right? You doing video? I wonder if I could stand, that would be better too. I'm gonna stand now, yeah, yeah. Anytime, you ready? pushed on the strings back there. It's my dive bomb. Can we, can you show me the bazooki trick? This thing, that blew my mind when you showed me that. I'm still. The, uh, yeah. Now, yeah. we don't have time to get into your whole childhood history, but you know, you grew up with a bazooki in the house. Your father would jam with you, I guess. He got you playing music. He would play that thing. He had a bar, I guess. He got you working there. I know you got a guitar when you were like five. Yeah. And you're playing, but I guess the, the double string action of that influenced you. No, the bazooki. the bazooki was later on. Like I was 11, and I was taking bazooki lessons, and I, I actually hated it at first. But then when I was 17, and you know, you're there's a there's a rivalry amongst guitar playing friends, and I I I knew if I I dug into bazooki more that it would give my my picking an edge. So it's very articulate. Very it was stuff like. Uh, it's like a 
It's kind of like, Rats. and then stuff like. It's like almost like it's beautiful. Uh, what's yeah? What was that? Was that like Greek? This piece? is the Greek piece, yeah. Okay, so and and for anyone who's not clear, it's an acoustic instrument that has like the strings are doubled. Double chorus yeah. is like a twelve so string. So four pairs. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of six pairs like a twelve string, it's four pairs, and it's basically hmm. Wait. So it's uh, it's basically the four strings of a guitar. Like, yes, you can play a D chord. But it would be a step down, so it would be in C. Wait, <laughs> I'm not doing right. it right. What but is, it's stuff uh, like there's really beautiful moments, like um, like uh, That. See, it's different markings yeah, too. Different. So now I'm lost. Different markings. And different then it's, it goes on to like a. No, wait. Hold on a second. I'll go. Wait. Now, it's not all like that. Right. But There's still, a lot of beautiful, like exciting. some of the melodies, like my dad knew 500 songs, so he could walk into a building and, and a, into a party with his bazooka and it was like Elvis was in the building and he could make people cry and he could make people laugh. But he couldn't now play like this. Now I'm seeing this. where some of this is coming from, your, your fire and your, okay, keep it's going. It's my dad for sure. Wow. Yeah. All right, cool. Because he, he also got me on stage when I was eight because I was, we were at a Greek wedding and I had an Elvis set. I knew Blue Suede Shoes and teddy bear and he's like hey you want to get up and play and sing while the band's taking a break and i'm like uh no there's like 400 people here and he's like you can do this and then i got up and did it and, and that ruined me because <laughs> because then you want to do it forever and all the time and i mean and this was before youtube it's not like you could punch in eight-year-old playing blue suede shoes at a wedding and it would come up. Nobody saw anything like this yeah. before in their lives. So right. it's it, it was everybody. Wh who is that? Who's is that? Peter's kid? Oh my god! You know. So and it you was were like, hooked. Yeah, I got hooked pretty quick. That. Yeah, the, yeah, the connection and the energy and and the ad adulation. So <laughs> the adulation. <laughs> That's what ruined me. They want it all the time. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Just sidestep here, but like musicians just like do are we doing it for the adulation cuz it's never quite the same if you're just in a closet by yourself playing it. But it's not just the adulation. Like I was at a gig the other night and like I connected on something and people felt it and like I, and it pushed me and I realized, you know, it's not just like looking for praise or recognition it's like the energy is feeding the music like their energy was literally making me play better kind yeah. of it's a weird thing well it's an amazing thing and i'm i'm hearing you say that it's i mean i'm happy for you because it it doesn't happen as frequently as we'd like and it's not I somebody going moments. see when i watch somebody you know when i watch somebody do something incredible on guitar it almost makes me laugh because the joy is is so um i it's there's nothing like it 
You know, like it could be Steve Vai playing with David Lee Roth in 1986 at Maple Leaf Gardens, or it could be Paul Gilbert playing with two guys at the Viper Room. And they do something really stupid. I mean, in, right. in a good way. They do something stupid. I'm like, what? What, what was that? I laugh because it, it, it gives me joy. Now, the cool thing about it is that I don't look for it in the audience. Like you can't go on stage and expect and look at people yeah. and see how they're responding. You can't do that. You just gotta, you see it when it occurs naturally. And I see people laughing at what I do in the same way. And yeah. it's, it's hard to describe. Yeah, you're not looking for it, but like you see a great lead singer and like John Bon Jovi gets up there and the energy of the room looking at him makes him, like it's like a feedback yeah. loop or something. It is a feedback loop, yeah, so, for sure. Now you do have to show me this- uh, this Pazuki tuning? Pazuki trick that you came up with. Tell me where, where do you remember the session you were at or how or, or, or was it something you came up with at home or something? I came up with it at home. The first time I did it was, um, I was on a powder song. And I just came up, and the melody needed something and I didn't want it to be an effect and I didn't want it to be a double. I wanted it to be a one standalone guitar. And it just, then it went into, I took it wherever I went. I started doing sessions and I was working on Methods of Mayhem with Scott Humphrey, which is Tommy Lee's first solo thing. And I was doing bazooka, hey, I got this thing, let's do that. And then every time I went to the studio after that, they had a chop shop because the studio was called the chop shop. They had a chop shop bazooka tuning guitar on the wall. They, I'm like, yeah. hey, that's uh, my thing. And they're like, no, it's the chop shop thing now. And then, so when I do it on the Alice Cooper record and Bob Marlette is like freaking out going, what the hell is that? It's amazing. Or then years later, I'm, pl I'm working with Our Lady Peace and Bob Rock is producing and Ray and the singer's like, hey, do that bazooka tuning thing. And I do the bazooka tuning thing. And when, so when Bob at this point says, by the way, I'm stealing that bazooka tuning thing. I'm like, everybody does. <laughs> hey, man, I've definitely... So, no, so to be clear, it's not like you're tuning all the strings on the guitar. No, it's, it's basically what I'm doing is... Uh, it's a lot B, simpler B, than people might think. Yeah, the B... You get your B string and your E string. And so the B stays put. And I tune the E to B. You have to come down a little bit because I actually put it in the same nut notch. So let's go there. And you're, you're lifting the high E string out of its slot and now they're both in the B string And this the is the first time slot. doing it on this guitar and sometimes you have to put the E string in first. Okay, so. Wow, interesting. So you can hear right. the, the, the metal rubbing, right? right so now Oh man, it's not gonna stay put on this one. Hold on. Oh, hold on. You could do it on this one. <laughs> I won't pick hard. So, so that yeah. sounds like. But I would do it like. So that would be yeah. a melody. And then you'd have a drone note, so yeah, that would take it somewhere it else. Too. You get like well, you get the. What song is that? That's uh, that's a powder song called uh, Sonic Machine. So 
what happens so, is the strings are in the same pitch and in the same nut, but they are different gauges. Totally so they respond tensions. different to the bend, the shake. Yeah. So you get the... So you get that kind of thing going on. So yeah. it's so... Well, I love it. I mean, if you get the... Like, like they're they're when they the two notes are almost together, then they and tunes up nicely. Sounds good. I can't get this one to tune perfectly. Anyway, uh, go I'm ahead. Lucky. What were you saying? Um, the uh, so the bazooka tuning thing was was uh, one of those things that I mean it became a calling card, but at the same time, uh, I remember being at the gym and I had. Pl- uh, it's perfect for counter melodies for a, a pop chorus. So I had done it on a, on a Kelly Clarkson song, a Gavin DeGraw song, and a Daughtry song. And I think they all came out at the same time. So I'm at the gym and all, you know, I'm kicking the ass out of an elliptical machine because I'm hearing all these songs that I played on. But at the same time, I'm going, hmm, maybe I should give the bazooka <laughs> tuning a rest. Oh no! Well, that's cool. It's got yeah. a sound, man. Now, well, I Kelly mean, Clarkson, you did like "I Do Not Hook Up," "Cry," "Where's Your Heart," "Walk Away." Was it one of those? No, it wasn't. Okay, "Walk Away," and that was a cool song. Oh, there was a cool story about that. Such a cool song, cool guitar sound, and everything. that Ray Maida, he was like, can we do like a kick-ass solo on this song? Um, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I, I started doing this Phil Xism stuff through 16 bars or something and did take after take and he comped him something together and Kelly came with her brother and he was a huge Eddie Van Halen fan. So he's like, oh my God, this solo is amazing. This song is awesome. I'm looking for attention And then Clive Davis came in and he said, wow, song sounds great. Lose the solo. <laughs> Damn. So that's what happens in life. That's life, man. Being yeah. a guitar player, it happens. Yeah, for sure. I remember I, did, I played on, not to make this about me, but I played on a two live crew song once. Wow. And, Dude, uh, that's cool. It's kind of, Not yeah, a lot of people no, could say that. There were no lyrics on it, but I went in there and they were like, just go crazy, man. Play. And I played like, the, in, played over the whole thing, like from the solo all the way in, just a million notes. Just, there was like, trying yeah. to get that they wanted like a real freak out rock solo and they yeah. left every single note in i couldn't believe it i thought thought they'd leave in like five seconds of it they wow. left the whole thing but um the whole thing oh my gosh yeah the whole take they left the whole thing in everything that's amazing Dude. but um you also did that the cool thing where you uh on the alice cooper song uh, it was on uh brutal planet yeah the, the oh yeah i was running out of ideas so well, it's funny when Rob Zombie came up, comes up to you at the studio and says, hey, I gave your number to Alice Cooper. And you're like, yeah, Alice is going to call. But Bob Marlette, who's producing Brutal Planet, called me and said, hey, uh, I, I guess I'm supposed to get you in the studio. Can you come up on Wednesday and play on a couple of songs? And uh, we hit it off right away, like not just as people, but musically. Like as soon as he said, I need something, I need some pixie dust on this. I went, Wait, you're talking about Alice? No, it was Bob. Bob. You hooked up. You, you so Bob was like... Alice is a, such a nice guy, too. I'm sure you hooked up. Years later, though. I didn't meet Alice Cooper until last year. 
And then, but then I could say, hey, I'm Phil X. I did all the crazy guitar stuff on Brutal Planet. He goes, Bob talked about you for weeks. So, so you and Bob have a good chemistry. Yeah. So, but, you know, it ended up being two songs. It was two songs. And it was basically because Rob told Alice that he should use me. So the producer's like, I've never heard of this guy. I'll get him on a couple of songs. And then it turned to, dude, I was just going to put you on a couple of songs, but could you do more today? And then can you come back on Friday? And it ended up being like nine or ten songs. And by, by song eight or nine, you're like, wow, I, I'm, I'm tapping out on some of this, some ideas here. And that's the first time I put, like, I can't do it because I don't have a neck pickup, but I put... I unscrewed the high E string flat screw in yeah, the humbucker. In the middle of the pickup. The neck, it was a Les Paul. And I, I unscrewed it and I put the E string underneath the pickup and tightened it so it wouldn't come out and tuned it to a high note that was I could stick in the riff. And it's uh, it's it's one of those things. It's like Yeah, so crazy. you're just banging on it and then when you want the high note you just strike up on those strings. Exactly. But the cool thing about it is I've I've, I've hung out with um ryan roxy a couple of times who plays in his band and uh and i did a podcast with him when we were in in uh stockholm and he and so we're talking and he had to learn the solo to brutal planet so he does the first half and he did this the second half and he, and he goes i'm pretty sure i do it wrong i think maybe someday you could show it to me <laughs> and i was like you're like you have no idea yeah right Before I forget, what's your rig on, on Bon Jovi or amps? My, uh, I am a Friedman amplifier user. I figured you might be using that on the road. And basically he had the BE-100 and even just plugging into that amp, at a, he let me take the head to rehearsal and just plugging it into the amp. It was like, this is I think this is the best amp I've ever played. And then he called me and said, hey, do you want to do something with us? And what would you do different? And I go, well, the amp, is it cooks. It does Van Halen amazing, and it does that that more saturated sound incredible. But when I want to do Zeppelin or ACDC, I turn that gain down, and it seems like all the character goes away. He goes, well, that's easy. I can just throw a gain cut in it. And I'm like, okay. But the first version of the yeah. gain cut was just a switch, and it, it, it didn't do what I wanted. It kind of cloaked. The game went away, but it also cloaked the sound. And he goes, you know, the best way to do it is uh, bring your guitar and your cabinet over to the, the, the shop. So that's what I did. I got my guitar, my cabinet. He's got, I'm plugged into this chassis <laughs> that yeah. he's, and components scattered all over the place. And he goes, how's this? And I'm like, that's all right. How's this? It's a little brittle. And I, yeah, it's ceramic. Let's not use that. And then, and then wow. he put an alligator clip in a magic spot, magic <laughs> spot. And he says, how's this? And I hit an E chord and it was like, oh. And I'm like, that's it. He goes, great. He took a note of it. Done. Send it to the manufacturer, so, and, and they started making my head. So everyone, I, so every Phil X Friedman head comes with one of the wires is connected by an alligator clip in there. <laughs> so I use that. That's my main amp always. And then I also like to blend a smaller amp. To, whether I'm playing with Bon Jovi or even the drills. The drills, it's a really small amp. It's like a Greer 3-watt 
uh, Mini Chief plugged into an, a Supro 8-inch speaker. And if I need a little more, I'll use the, in, depending on the stage, I'll use a, uh, the Supro 1606, which is a 5-watt amp. And I blend that with the Friedman. And it's funny because when I was doing the drill shows, people are like, so what's with the little amp? Like the sound guys. And I'm like, well, I play it and they go, oh, that's, that's cute. Uh, but then I go, well, now let's put both on. So I put the Freeman on and the cute little amp. And it just fills this, this notch that's missing in a 412 cabinet. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, and then they go, oh, I totally get it now. Awesome. And then the, the Freedman for me has a second master, which is amazing because I can boost my own solos. So when I'm touring and you want to use house sound guys because it's more affordable and they don't know your stuff. So it's good to be able to boost your own solos. Real quick, run down some of the other stuff you use, like picks. I mean, people really like to know, like, what kind of pick are I you use, Okay, this is a tricky one. This is uh, Everly makes the star pick. Everly Strings makes the star pick. So it's the got pick, a hole in it, yeah. and it's for grip. And it's, the hole is kind of star-shaped. Yeah, at multiple multi Like an asterisk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and it's funny, because I used to use Dunlop 0.88 millimeter picks, the greeny. So, and then they started using the green plastic, and and then they changed the green, but the green changed the actual plastic. So it was a lighter green and a lighter plastic. So I was using this 88, and I'm going, this feels light. And they're like, yeah, the, the plastic is a little more flexible. And I'm like, well, that's not working. Well, we'll send you blues. It's a millimeter, but see, how, so now I'm using the blue, <laughs> which is a one millimeter pick, but not as thick. Or not as, it's the same thickness, it's weird. It's the same thickness yeah. as a blue Dunlop, but not as, it's more flexible. So it feels more like a, a green Dunlop. What about strings and cables? Just strings, clear tone makes my strings. And uh, it's funny, I switched to nine and a halves. Oh man, I used to. So nine, nine point, because basically uh, last year I toured with Bon Jovi for three months and I was using 10 to 46 tuned to E flat. And it felt like home. But then I came home, home, and played with the drills at 440, and the 10 to 46 made my finger give me the finger. And, yeah. but nines are too light. So I asked Clear Tone to make me nine and a half to 44, and they did. And I, I love them. Yeah, one time I bought a Mutt Strat. I fell in love with it. I bought it from my friend Garth Weber, great yeah. guitar player. He used to play with Miles Davis and everything. And that's funny. I traded him an ADAT for that guitar. The wow. ADAT, the ADAT went way down in volume, value, but the guitar held its value, which is great. But he had it set up with nine and a half, and I was yeah. like, I'm not going to change a thing. So I kept it going with nine and a half, man. Wow. That's a super nerdy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Good. If they have nine and three quarters, man, I'd probably like try them out. But, <laughs> but you, it's funny when you talk to like, okay, so I've jammed with Billy Gibbons, and he's been playing seven for uh, yeah. years. That boggles my mind. And then uh, I got to play with uh, Uli John Roth, last january and he uh he uses nine to 42 but with an eight in the okay. nine position and he just he loves the sound of it he loves how it, not only the, how it shakes but he loves how and he's he's one of those guys man i when i was 16 i was an uli disciple and i loved everything he did and nobody made a strat sound like that through a marshall and it was uh, and nobody played that 
the notes in the, in that sequence, and nobody did that stuff. Did he play a Strat on Sales of Sharon? He does in the video. Yeah, yeah, it's it was a Strat and all that stuff from '76 on. Dude. He told me when he bought the Strat, it was '76, and everything after that is that Strat. And the cool thing about him is that I played three shows with him in in um, Japan in Japan in January, like almost a year ago now, and he still embodies this who he is like still there's so many players that they don't have the hands anymore or they need more gain because they don't feel confident with their accuracy and he has it down and his improv is still incredible and he's such a cool dude man he's he such a, a well you know i had the cool pleasure dude. i played at jason becker's one of his benefit concerts wow. nice and he had so many fools at that show I and mean, i'm talking about like great players like yeah. and Uli, I got to watch Uli John Roth sound check. Yeah, and he was just playing through some like backline Black Star amps. Yes, exactly. He, had the, he got the <laughs> the walls were shaking, man. He yeah. had it so loud, but it sounded so it's good. It's incredible. When we we actually met at uh, Guitar Summit last September, and uh, me and Pete Thorne were there. And when Uli went on, me and Pete Thorne were fanboys. We went into the front and stood in front of his amp and watched him do his thing. And he's incredible. Like he's. Yeah. It's funny. He's a punk rock hippie. <laughs> yeah, he's one of a kind. And he, that's unbelievable. I really, like being able to stand beside him and watch him do his thing. It was like, even like I was a kid again, you know. And I get to do that a lot. It's funny when you get to a point like Derek St. Holmes. He's, he's a buddy. But it, when I was 11, I was dropping the needle on Double Live Gonzo in my dad's basement. And then so when I get up and jam with... Jam Stranglehold with Derek St. Holmes, and he still sounds amazing at 60-whatever. I'm 11 again in my dad's basement. That's the beauty of music. You time travel. Yeah. Well, let's listen to some drills. Whoa, yeah. Okay, let's check out this tune, Rock and Roll You All Night Long. What an incredible monstrous solo on there. What Thanks, man. I got to explain <laughs> that really quick. Yeah. I was, I, obviously, you know, Van Halen 1 came out 41 years ago, 42 years ago, right? Yeah. 78. So I wanted to tip my hat to the whole energy of Van Halen 1. And I think when I listen to isolated tracks on YouTube and I listen to I'm the One, it sounds like a masterpiece. Top to bottom, the feel, the licks, the the Eddieisms, all that stuff. Totally. So I loved that, and I, and then I wanted to tip my hat to it. And then I, when I got to the soul, and it's like I have to write this song, and it's got to have uh, all night long and rock and roll in it. And and then it oh, let's just call it rock and roll you all night long. And then when I got, see how excited I'm getting. When I got to the solo, I wanted to be like in I'm the one. There's two. There's two solos, but I'll just do one. But there's key changes in the solo.
So I want to do the key changes, but it's all Phil X licks. There's no tapping, there's no whammy bar. But one of the licks that is very Eddie-ish, when he goes, I go. Yeah. So I'm taking it. the phrase and changing up the picking of it. So yeah, so the lick is like a one. I love that, man. Well, you know, like, I, of course, I learned those licks from Eddie. Yeah. When I was a kid. Then later, you realize he's just tapping the blues thing. But he's just doing it on one string with two exactly. hands. Exactly. So that's and why I, I stole that. Pick. But I, I wanted it to be, so you could go, and you could pick it like that. Yeah. But then I wanted to add the... Sharp nine. That's nuts. But the first time I did that was actually in Sunny Days from the first Jules record. So I, go, I did the same lick, so I copied myself. Wait, hold on. I ended it different. That kind of thing. <laughs> I love your minor seconds, too. Uh, um. I love the dissonance. Yeah. A lot of people don't get the dissonance and they don't like dissonance, but I love dissonance. Now, in the song Stink, which rocks so much, I hear a definite love letter <laughs> to beating around the bush. Definitely beating around the bush which is, meets probably I'm a rocker. The tones and the groove, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. No Woman of Mine. I love you kind of do these pseudo bends. You're kind of like... Yeah, so I'm, I'm going... Um, uh, and then I stick some bazooki vibes in there too. There's one vibe that's kind of like... Uh, That kind of thing going on. I love the drones, and I love being able to like throw in some of my Greek um, influence in there. I hear it, man. Now, the, I love the singable stuff, too. You stack these vocals, like Saddest Girl in the World. Like, that's just, man, what a pop tune. And like, Yeah, thanks. Just a great chorus. Yeah.
got to go and uh, oh yeah, pick up the kids. Got to go <laughs> evade some questions from other parents and pick up the kids. I'm a stockbroker. I'm an accountant. I maybe a physical trainer. You could do a lot of things. Starving actor. Ignore the car. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like chiropractor. Like, chiropractor. I'm like hey, or I'm in town for a plumbing convention. <laughs> that was funny. What, what key you want to play? Anything. So man, again, thanks so much. Hey, no problem, man. Th- thanks for having me. Yeah, congratulations on Gibson too. Thank that's, you. That's that's awesome. All right. Um. Okay. Uh, oh, let's do the, the sunny day thing, which is like uh. I get lost without a drummer, I swear to God. <laughs> uh, probably not loud enough. Dude, you're crushing it. Keep it alive to you. 95, man. I swear to God. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Dude, thanks for having me, man. It's so fun to be here and jam and talk. Oh, yeah. Move. Guitar is safe.